0: The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across me is the one, the only, the hairiest beast of them. All that took seven horse tranquilizers to put her down and get her into captivity. Tammy, the Sasquatch. Underwood.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: So I got a couple of special shout-outs today.
1: I, did you figure out the names?
0: I did. I did. Okay. Good. The first one is uh, is Sean Warner. And I'm not sure where he's from, but he's, another, he's a fellow guitar player. He's on the Citizens page. Oh. And uh, lo- loving the conversation. And uh, the other one. God oh, damn it, I just lost, lost it. Lost him. Of course I did, because I'm retarded. Huh, I knew that. Is... Uh, Martin see C- oh, Silea, S- 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 I'm sorry. He posted a picture of, of his guitar. It's a badass looking guitar, man. Was it? Yeah, it's been it's been really, really. It's a uh, it's a jazz master, is what he's got. Oh, okay. And it's uh, it's nice looking freaking guitar, man. So see, don't just talk about serial killers on citizens.
1: No, we talk about everything on there,
0: including my butthole. Um,
1: <laughs> that you hard. are a butthole, yeah.
0: I'm still dying over here.
1: Are you? Are you dying? My voice is just thrashed. It's a man flu. You no,
0: know. it's because of two reasons. Number one, you won't bring me two Asian girls over here to take care of me.
1: Yeah, that's the reason.
0: I agree they can be free range. Whatever. <laughs> they just have to be chipped. you are horrible. And the other one is I don't have Jen Doll here to harass me. Okay. Because nothing will get a person better quicker than to know that somebody is going to skin you.
1: <laughs> That's true, because you don't want to be weak. Yeah,
0: no shit. <laughs> How you feeling? I feel 100%. I'm great. Your voice doesn't sound good. Oh, no. Must be just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Allergies just, or something. It's allergies. I got to go now. Why you got the knife in your hand, Jen? You fucking freak.
1: She just wants to skin you a little bit.
0: She is strange as fuck. I I'll mean,
1: still That, that quote. Well, she'll never live it down. I mean, don't They get just skin you a little bit.
0: <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love Jen to death, man, but Jesus fucking Christ.
1: <laughs> you don't want to be skinned a little
0: bit? I don't want to be skinned at all. <laughs> <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> I'm paranoid that I'm going to cut myself while I'm cooking, much less <laughs> have her sit there and go, I like your tattoo. Don't like it that much. Like it from afar.
1: Right, right. No, I, there used to be a time when I couldn't cook without hurting myself, somehow burning myself, cutting myself. Yeah. And then there was one time when uh, my son decided to swing the dog leash and he hit the chandelier and broke one of the globes. And I was too short to reach it to take it off. And I went to go shake out a blanket and I filleted my knuckle. And so I had to go to the hospital and get stitches. And my best friend and her husband went over to the house to like take care of her for me, and he goes, I want to see the knife that cut her, and Kitty he goes, it's up there, and he goes, how the hell did she do that? Because I have ways.
0: <laughs> Jesus H. Christ, man. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I've had so many stitches, it's disgusting.
0: But So today we're going to be talking about the death of Ted Binion, and I'm actually interested in this one, because every time I go to Vegas...
1: Don't you stay at Binion's often?
0: I stay at Binion's all the time. Um, okay. Because those- aren't they on Fremont? They they are they're on they're on the old strip which is Fremont Street because see okay I can stay at any hotel I want I can stay at the Luxor or the MGM Grand I don't like the new strip and I say new only because I'm old school and I'm used to Fremont right. Street but um, I don't like those larger I, I I like I like Fremont Street
1: see because when we went to Vegas we stayed at because we mom won a trip for two and um, we went there and we. Got uh, room and board at, I mean, rooms at the Planet Hollywood resort.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It was
1: nice. It was nice. Yeah. Spent a lot of money on that strip, let me tell you.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And this is what I've noticed because I've been to Vegas literally hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, Yeah, because your son used to live there. Yeah, because my son was there. That's where he he was going to school. Yeah. Um, If you're on the regular strip and you're ordering drinks and things like that, you know, like if the drink calls for like an ounce of rum. Yeah. They're going to put an ounce of rum in there. Yeah. Then you get over to Fremont Street, and it's like a trailer park, and it is wonderful. They're like, (laughs) can I get an extra shot in that? Okay, I'll tell you what. You just tell me where to stop. I don't care. (laughs) I'll just keep going. Hold on. Bring us another case, because he hasn't said stop yet. This turning into five (laughs) I'll tell you what. I'm just going to leave the bottle here, and you take what you want. How about that? I got things to do.
1: That's right. I, I, I got other people to wait on. That's no, fucking that, awesome. That's funny because there is actually a YouTube video out there. One of the I can't even remember her name now, but one of the T V chef cooks or whatever who had a cooking show she goes, just a shot of vodka. and You know how they always say one 1,000 is a shot, right? Right. And she was like, just a shot of vodka. Glug, 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 glug. And my son goes, that's a shot. I said to some of us.
0: <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Um, th- there was a place there, and it was a smaller casino, and a lot of them do it over there. It's, uh, it's just one of those tourist things you buy drinks by the yard. Right, right, so you, right. And they got different frozen drinks. They got like mudslides and my oh, yeah. and shit like that.
1: And I love their open carrot there. Oh, open, fuck yeah. Yes.
0: So, and every time I go into one of those places, I'll say, let me get two extra shots. I'll tell you what, you just tell me where to stop. And I'll let him fucking booze that motherfucker up. And I don't like, have them fill the whole thing because that's nah. disrespectful. But I get a good three, four shots in there. And I'm like, that'll work for me. Thank you very much.
1: Totally. My ex boyfriend used to work at a Red Robin over there in Vegas.
0: Yeah, so I, I love Binions. Um, yeah. You know, I, I love the whole Fremont Street experience. Um,
1: yeah, at, I, at, never, I never, we never made it over to Fremont Street when I was out there. The, uh, I want to do that zipline, though.
0: The, the hotel is amazing. Um, yeah. There's two sides. There's a smoking side, and a, the, the downside of the smoking side is that when they're doing live events, they supply you with earplugs because you can hear that shit.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And there's a non-smoking side where it's quieter. It's quieter. I stay in the smoking side because I'm an asshole.
1: Yeah, because you're a smoker. Yeah,
0: and I don't give a fuck.
1: Yeah. Um, You can sleep through anything. Yeah,
0: pretty much, yeah. I have enough drugs to do that. Hold on, I got to sneeze. Carry on.
1: Okay. Bless you. Oh, his little... I wish he would sneeze in it so you guys could hear his manly sneezes. (laughs) Anyways, so basically, I'm going to give you a little... For some people who don't, you know, realize it, but Las Vegas actually came from meager beginnings. Um... It's on the southern perimeter. It's basically surrounded by deserts. It's got the southern perimeter of the Mojave Desert, the southern edge of the Great Basin Desert, and its northern perimeter, the Sonoran Desert. Now, it's without question, I mean, except for maybe Death Valley, um, one of the hottest, driest cities in the United States. It was actually discovered when some Mexican in 1830, when some Mexican explorers and traders were looking for a shortcut between Santa Fe and L.A.
0: They weren't traders. They were border jumpers. Let's just call it spade a spade there. La <laughs> you know, me not out here. Oh, look, no. I discovered something
1: <laughs> from Santa Fe to L.A. Now, it's you know, they were surrounded by scorching sand and the heat, and they actually veered off the old Spanish trail and. Wound up miles from the the nearest watering hole, but then out of nowhere they came across a A casino. No, oh my bad. A series of artisan springs just coming up out of the sand, you know. And then they, as they went, kept going. They found this oasis that had you know cottonwood and mesquite trees, tall grass, and small small creeks that flowed from the springs.
0: And an MGM Grand.
1: <laughs> right with the lions.
0: Yep.
1: And those are beautiful lions by the way. Now they so they named it um Las Vegas, which means the meadows. Then um explorer and cartographer John Fremont surveyed the area in 1843 and as as a result of his surveys that kicked off the railroads being brought to town. So by 1905, Las Vegas had become a railroad town a stop, and a stop along the route from Salt Lake to West Coast. Then in 1930, the U.S. government decided to, you know, embark on that project to build the Hoover Dam, which created Lake Mead, which is the largest man-made lake in the world. So while then you have to remember, 1930s was like the middle of the Great Depression. So while the most of the country was suffering from that, Las Vegas actually prospered and grew. You know, they weren't hit as hard. Now, by then, I mean, 1930s, you still haven't, didn't have Glitter Gulch or the strip or any of that yet. But then politicians in the capital of Carson City worked fervently to enact laws to legalize gambling. And I found this kind of ironic, too, <laughs> because, you know, they say that if you want to get hitched in a hurry, go to Vegas. Yep. Right. Well, if you want to get divorced in her, you can go to Vegas, too.
0: They, God damn it, I wish I would have known that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they make it a uh, divorce easy and quick. <laughs> quick and easy. I known boom, that boom. five
0: fucking times in. <laughs> I know,
1: right? So as a result of the new laws, that's when the casinos started to come up all over the downtown area. And by 1940s, the New York and Chicago crime families decided, you know what? They wanted their fair share of that wealth, too. So Meyer Lansky soon sent from, you know, soon sent Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, you know, to do it all legal, Get scooped up by the little homie in the Regal. For anybody who doesn't know that Snoop Dogg and Tupac. Um,
0: (laughs) What is a Snoop Dogg and a (laughs) Tupac?
1: Anyways.
0: Can I get the M&M's fit as in?
1: Whatever. So he actually, Siegel actually opened up the Flamingo Hotel and the... And the Strip, for all its p- intents and purposes, was born then. There was... I like the Flamingo, too. I mean, have you ever gone through their gardens, their Flamingo Gardens?
0: Uh, there?
1: It's actually pretty, especially at night. It's beautiful.
0: I don't think I've ever been to the Flamingo.
1: Really? I mean, we didn't do much there except for a tour of the Flamingo Gardens. Um... Let's see here. Where was I? Oh, but there there were no signs on the highways that led into town that would let you know that that town was basically built by criminals. But you know what? It pretty much was. Then, as the Flamingo prospered, several other entrepreneurs' rivals, many of them were mafia bosses, decided they also wanted some of the action. So over a 10-year period... The Tropicana, the Stardust, the Sands, the Riviera, the Desert Inn, and Caesars Palace opened up. Then Las Vegas' sudden prosperity had a price, a negative element that would long be remembered. So some of the new ventures had been uh, financed by mob money, and so it brought on a violent era. Bugsy Siegel at that time had been, you know, eliminated by the mob for skimming profits from Flamingo and for sending his girlfriend, Virginia Hill, on shopping sprees to Europe where she uh, deposited much of that money into a Swiss bank account for him. Then Gus Greenbaum got in trouble with his bosses at the Riviera and his body was found along with his wife's in their Las Vegas home after their throats had been cut. Then Frank Lefty, his names, I love them, Rosenthal, who was actually played by Robert De Niro in
0: the movie Casino. He sounds like a Jew. <laughs> Probably was. He damn, ran Jews. Things. Yeah, they're running things into the ground. They run the banks already. Damn, <laughs> Jews. Oh, oh, hey, they. Hold on. I got to get my yarmulke. God damn it. <laughs> you freaking Jews out there. It's not right to be running the casinos. We run banks, damn it. Be, be good. Go to Temple. Go to Temple. Shalom.
1: Shalom. So he actually ran things at the Stardust. With Anthony the Ant Spolotro. And he nearly lost his life in a car bomb outside of Tony Roma's. You know that replace? Yep. I loved Tony Roma's uh, on East Sahara. Then, more recently, Herbert Fat Herbie Blitzstein... A one
0: time. That's another fucking jail. <laughs> That's what that is. That's a jail.
1: Uh, this Belotros was murdered in his townhouse when the Los Ve- Angeles mob decided it wanted to take over the loan shark business and auto insurance scam that they thought he was running. But then it was all, Vegas was also evolving. That monster element is still there, but it's less visible than it was back then. And nowadays, politicians and corporations have postured a new image for themselves and Vegas. They actually, uh, some people refer to Vegas as the Disneyland for adults, but it has become a little more family friendly. It's also known as the setting for one of the most diabolical, calculated, holy cow, cold-blooded and intricately plotted murder schemes in the annals of uh Las Vegas crime his criminal and you history and can buy
0: two asian girls for just 1995
1: you would know
0: they're in my backyard right now
1: <laughs> okay so now um on Thursday September 17th the you know the grayish brown smog decided to you know dawn and it's just one of those days that, you know, as the temperatures were, are still scorching in the low 100s, the um, it was obvious that, like, the clear dark blue skies that Vegas once uh, boasted were long gone. Um, and Native, and I love this term for them, Native Las Vegans, <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. Um, had accepted the fact of life that hundreds of thousands of new people had settled there in their quest for a better life. Some called it progress, and those who know what it used to be like there call it a shame. Although although he was not a native Las Vegan, Lonnie Ted Binion grew up there in the desert dust and was one of those who knew what Vegas used to be like.
0: Wouldn't it be in a Las Vegan instead of a vegan?
1: Well, it's spelled V-E-G-A-N. Maybe it is vegan. I, I don't it's know. It's spelled vegan. I don't know. Tofu on. Tofu on. Carry on, wayward son. So, now, Ted Binion was a, you know, he's a slightly built man. He lived in the fast lane. He, in many respects, he was like his infamous father, Lester Benny Binion, and possessed some of that same bravado. He was also a cowboy. He loved horses and had been an accomplished horseman even before he turned 10.
0: I heard that you love horses, too, but in a different way.
1: But unlike his father, who actually lived to the ripe old age of 85, passing away from natural causes, Ted lacked much of his father's insight and common sense. And it's that he couldn't see trouble coming, even when it was right around the corner. He was smart, though. He loved history and was a whiz at math with an uncanny ability to analyze gambling odds and come up with the house take in seconds, all without using a calculator or a pencil. He loved to schmooze with the patrons at the horseshoe and could be seen on any given day sitting at the bar trying to put the make on women whose husbands were gambling away their family fortune.
0: Smart man. I like him.
1: Yeah. So he had a knack for being able to find trouble, kind of like you, and he took one of life's routes that led him down the highway to hell. Hi. No,
0: I right. <laughs> yeah,
1: now, despite his wealth and a sense of fairness towards those he liked, it was no- he was known to help others who were less fortunate than him. He also had difficulty in helping himself and eventually became his own worst enemy. Although he did his job well, there were many occasions when he would be above the casino floor utilizing the eye in the sky to keep watching the gambling action and the casino dealers while he smoked some pot. The dealers always knew when he was there because of the pungent telltale odor of the marijuana. No, no. The
0: marijuana. Not the marijuanas.
1: (laughs) Not the marijuanas.
0: (laughs) Lord have mercy.
1: So I've heard. Okay, but his lifestyle also had a price. By the time of his untimely death, Ted looked older than 55, which was his age, and his teeth had become stained and ugly brown from years of smoking tar, heroin, and marijuana. Ew. Despite those shortcomings, he had managed to achieve phenomenal success in the casino business, and he became immensely wealthy along with his siblings. However, this his phenomenal the phenomenal s- story of the tongue tied of the horseshoe and the Binyon family was not always a happy one. It's often marred with the dark side of legal complications, squabbling in the family, and personal tragedy. Now, the youngest daughter Barbara failed in at an attempt at suicide in which she shot herself and was left with a badly disfigured face. She died later of a drug overdose. Then there was a dramatic kidnapping and. Attempt on young Ted would be thwarted, leaving his wake's bodies lying in the desert. Then an older Ted would begin to run afoul as the, of the law as early as 1986 over his own drug problems, and he was arrested for heroin trafficking, and his known associates with underworld mobsters would ultimately cost him his gaming license and force him to sell his share of the horseshoe to his sister Becky. Now, Ted's brother Jack would also sell to Becky after a prolonged series of disagreements among Becky's accusations that he and Ted Ted were mismanaging horseshoe capital, with Jack allegedly diverting money to finance his Louisiana and Mississippi gambling operations that were not directly affiliated with the horseshoe. Now, in a lawsuit filed against her brothers, Becky also alleged that Jack had been stealing players by luring them away from the horseshoes so that he could fill the tables at its other franchises. Ted, in the meantime, would meet a bleach blonde dancer at a cheesy topless nightclub and would move her into his home after his wife, Doris, and daughter, Bonnie, moved out. Now, Ted, who was distrustful of his sister, sister and fearful that he might lose the millions in silver that he had stored in the horseshoe vault, befriended a young man he met at a urinal inside the men's room at Piero's restaurant. I just find it odd how he associates with people.
0: Hey, you know? look, sometimes you're at the urinal and you go, hey, can you and, give me a handy J over here?
1: Yeah, and sometimes you just pick up a topless, da- a bleach blonde topless dancer, huh?
0: Best way to find him. <laughs> go to the worst strip bar there is and go, hey, do you like heroin? Well, I don't, but will you blow me?
1: Do you have daddy issues?
0: (laughs) Do you have daddy issues and make bad decisions? Good. Come home with me. How old are you? 18? Good enough. Almost. Good enough.
1: (laughs) What? I didn't hear that. (laughs) So he actually hired that man to remove the silver from the horseshoe vault and transport it to the garage at his home on Palomino Lane. Then, months later, that same young man was hired again to build a new vault near his ranch and. Paul Nevada.
0: It's perump.
1: Okay, well, that's not it. Okay, it could be P A H R. It is. I've been Pa-rump. there several times too. Okay, I I believe you. Perump. And it's that's a one horse town located about sixty miles southwest of Vegas, near the border of California. And to top it off, Ted would get murdered in the process. His lifestyle led to a number of decisions that would first cost him his status in the gaming community as a casino giant and then ultimately cost him his life. Now, pretty 23-year-old Sandra Renee Murphy blew into Vegas in 1995 from California with a purse full of money, a suitcase, and nothing else. Uh, as happens all too often in the gambling mecca of glitz and glamour, she found herself broke and hard-pressed for cash before her first weekend in Sin City was over. That was when she started hanging out at Cheetah's, a topless club, on the advice of a friend who told her that she might find work there. She did, and that's where she met 52-year-old multimillionaire Ted Binion, casino executive and of an heir to Binion's Horseshoe Casino and Hotel. Have you hung out at Cheetah's there Scott?
0: I'm no kissing cheetah. I'm no Chester cheetah and I'm no cheetah ink.
1: <laughs> Just say are you the cheetah ink? <laughs> you know, he will never live that down with us. Um now she was eye catcher. She she uh, she was an eye catching head turner exactly. And who was She was learned- a ninja
0: that means she plucked people's eyes out and broke their necks, goddamn vicious.
1: No. She was rather good looking and you know People often did a double-tick. She learned as a teenager that sex appeal and fast talking go further and produce faster money than a suit in a college education. Now, she hung out with club club frequenters since she was old enough to get into such establishments. She naturally fit in with the clientele and employees at Cheetahs. She knew that many of the dancers from Southern California would go to Las Vegas a few days every month to dance because they could make more money in Vegas, sometimes thousands in just one weekend. She reasoned correctly that she could do the same. It was only a few nights after Sandy started working at Cheetahs that she came face-to-face with Ted Binion when he walked into the club with a friend, you know, monster Herbert Fat Herbie Blitzstein, and a fellow gaming executive.
0: All of them sound like Jews. Yeah, probably. You should all be at Temple. Grab your yarmulkes. Rotten Jews.
1: Yeah. So his favorite haunts... You know what the
0: worst are? What? I can't stand orange juice. Oh, my God. Too acidic on the stomach. I can't stand the orange juice. (laughs) They got too much pulp. Especially with a lot of pulp. I can't help it. It upsets my tum-tum. You upset my head.
1: Now, his favorite haunts were topless joints, and he frequently did business at such establishments cheetahs club paradise and the olympic garden were most of his favorites on that particular night though uh ted was at a low point in his life more than half drunk and depressed over his marital problems and the ongoing troubles with the state gaming control commission over his gaming license because of his drug and alcohol problems and known associates associations with herbie Binion had so many stipulations attached to his gaming license that he feared that his lucrative career in the casino business was nearly done.
0: Since you're a Joe, you can only mass debate every other week, but not on the Sabbath. Not on the Sabbath. Shalom.
1: Now, he particularly enjoyed Cheetahs because he had prior success at picking up the female dancers there who sometimes went home with him. And he figured that spending the evening there might actually cheer him up. Okay,
0: well, here's what I don't understand. He's all depressed about his marital problems, but he's picking up bitches and bringing them home.
1: Causing his marital problems.
0: Causing, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah,
1: it's like, you know,
0: (laughs) how do I fix this? Oh, wait, let me do it this way. I don't know why my wife is so upset at me. Hold on, what's your name? Sally, you want to come home with me? (laughs) Yeah, no, bring you and your three of your friends. It's okay. But why are you upset, honey? I don't get it. Why, why are you mad? <laughs> You're mad all the time. Maybe you have a problem. <laughs> yeah.
1: But the girls at Cheetahs loved Ted. Known, he was known for his generosity, and so it wasn't unusual for him to tip the girls $500 or more on any given evening. It's no wonder that some of them would often spend the night with him. Now, Sandy Murphy sat at the table next to Ted Binion's that evening and was telling of all her troubles to Nick the Kick, one of Cheetahs' bouncers. Oh my God. Can you just I can picture him now. Can you picture him?
0: <laughs> yes, I can. He doesn't sound like a Jew, though. He Me sounds doesn't. like one of them Italians.
1: Yeah. Or a rapper. Uh-huh. He was one of Cheetah's bouncers, and he Ted actually overheard part of the conversation about how Sandy's boyfriend had dumped her recently for an aerobics trainer, and so he became interested in her because it appeared that they
0: shared something in
1: common.
0: Yeah, they both like money, and uh, for money, she'll like his dick.
1: And bad decisions.
0: And bad decisions, and probably daddy issues. My favorite kind of girls.
1: Now, when she was introduced to the customers that evening, she was known as the Irish Venus. Venus. Ted was immediately taken by her beauty, and it wasn't long before she was sharing a booth with him at his invitation.
0: Want to see my shillelagh?
1: (laughs) Ted was a steadfast party animal who seemed to live for the Vegas nightlife and often wouldn't go home until he'd spent the pocket full of cash that he always carried.
0: My shillelagh's dressed up like a rabbit. That's right. It's a party animal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... That night w- was no different for, him, for this millionaire playboy in the 24-hour city that he loved. Now, Sandy also had no idea who Ted was. She wasn't particularly impressed by him, but she might have be- been had she known he was the son of audacious casino legend Benny Binion. Nonetheless, he was friendly and a paying customer, so she remained with him and humored him as he drank absolute vodka on into the night. Obviously attracted to the Irish Venus... Binion tried his best to impress her. At one point, he attempted to push a wad of cash that amounted to $1,700 into her hand, but insulted her instead. Furious, even though she desperately needed the money, she threw it back in his face.
0: I need the money, but you're an asshole. Fuck off.
1: Yeah. Ted then put the money back in his pocket and left. He later said that, to his friends and families that he had been impressed by the woman's actions because he thought he had found someone who was not interested in him just for his money. Most women would have taken the cash, he said, but not Sandy. Their meeting that fateful evening changed their lives forever. Um, okay. Where was I? Now, it wasn't long before Sandy actually found out who Ted was and realized that she had nearly thrown away a ready-made jackpot. You know, a golden goose. She soon learned that Ben was worth an estimated $50 million. And despite their age difference, there was no longer any doubt that he was her kind of
0: man. For Yeah. No shit, right? Yeah. Like, I'll tell you what, at this point right here, after what I lost because of the pandemic, he's my kind of guy. I'm thinking, I'm not gay, but I might blow him. You <laughs> a sugar daddy? Need a sugar daddy? Guess what? I all of a sudden have daddy issues. <laughs> Well, amazing.
1: Now, despite their age difference, there was. Oh, I already said that. So when he showed up at Cheetah's again a couple nights later, he actually requested her company. She quickly made up for her, you know, lack of respect the last time that she had shown him his first meeting and happily accepted a date with him for a night on the town. On another evening, she accepted an invitation to a dinner party at his house. He invited Sandy and one of her friends to the party, all the while having brought another date for himself, who was already there when Sandy and her friend arrived. And pissing
0: off his wife even more and wondering why he has marital problems. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. I'm serious about this. Men as a species, we are dumb as fuck sometimes. And this is a prime example. I have a lot of problems in my marriage. I don't know what's going on. Oh, hold on. Hey, Linda, no, my wife will be gone next Saturday. Why don't you come over? You know, and she's looking through your fucking phone and seeing that that you're saying, hey, how's it going? Want to blow me? Right. I don't know why my wife is always so upset at me. It's just a fucking mystery. Better call Scooby-Doo. We are dumb. And this guy... You may have been a math genius and good at business, but, dude, Ted, you were dumb, dumb as fuck, dude.
1: Right? Well, when Sandy showed up and she noticed that he was there with another date, she got mad and made a scene. She told him that she thought she, had, she was his date that night, and she taunted him. She told him that it was going to be her or no one. Now, so Ted and Sandy, they made up, and it wasn't long before they were seen, being seen together all over town. Even though Sandy realized that Ted was wealthy, she had no idea what he did for a living and knew nothing of his background or his family. At first, she always referred to him as Bunyan, and it eventually began to irritate him. I can see that. I was just
0: drinking my fucking drink.
1: <laughs> and you almost spit it out.
0: That coming, I've done that to you once or twice. I had that coming.
1: <laughs> you did. So, on another of their early dates... he. He was tired of her always referring to him as Bunyan, so he took her downtown to the Fremont Street Experience, and they stopped in front of the Horseshoe. He goes, you always call me Bunyan. Um, as he pointed toward the Horseshoe and the sign that read Binion's Horseshoe, he goes, it's Binion's, and I own that casino. She go- and then she replied by saying, Ted, you don't have to do that. He was insistent that he owned at least a major share in the casino, however, and he walked Sandy over to the entrance to the horseshoe and called a security guard to the door. He instructed the guard to tell his companion who he was and that he was one of the owners. I'm sorry, sir, replied the security guard, but I've never seen you before.
0: (laughs) Oh, bad times, (laughs) bad times.
1: Now, the thing is, is the guard was new, so he was telling the truth. He hadn't seen Ted before. And with Ted's problems with the Gaming Commission, which stipulated that he could not enter the casino or be active with the day-to-day management, there was no way that the guard could have known him. So as he walked away from the horseshoe with Sandy was obviously he was disappointed. He failed yet again to oppress the young woman to which he had taken such a fancy to. Now, a few days after Ted had shown Sandy the horseshoe, his wife, Doris, overheard her husband making a date with Sandy on the phone and promptly packed her stuff and moved her and their 15-year-old daughter, Bonnie, out and they went to Texas.
0: Oh, well, it's a fucking mystery why that happened, huh? I mean, I don't know why his wife would have done that. What a mystery.
1: Yeah. Well, she had already <laughs> filed for divorce over his, you know, his drug use, his heroin junkiness, and his occasional abusive ways. but the latest incident left no room for them to reconcile. She finally was fed up with him. Ted was by now consuming nearly a bottle of either Southern Comfort or Absolute Vodka. Those are two majorly different alcohols, depending on what moody was in on what given day. And being the umpid up and down, impulsive doper that he was, he didn't seem particularly bothered by his wife's sudden leap. It was almost as, as if he was just waiting for it. So one night after his wife and daughter left, Ted went out looking for Sandy, but he couldn't fight her despite looking all night. It turned out that she had decided to spend the evening with some friends, but when Ted finally caught up to her, he was clearly angry and agitated. Um, he said to her, I don't ever want to know, I don't ever not want to know where you are. So the next day on March 7th, 1995 almost immediately after Doris and Bonnie moved out, he told two of his friends to go pack up Sandy's stuff and move them as well as Sandy into his home. Now, the move had been easy. Sandy only had like three outfits to her name when she moved in with them, and a few other personal belongings. So in the nearly two weeks that she worked at Cheetah's, she made back all the money she had lost playing blackjack at Caesars and then some. And she no longer had a reason to continue working as the Iris Venus, so she quit her job at Cheetah's. Within two weeks, Sandy's life had undergone such an unimaginable change that nobody could fathom. She recovered her money, met and moved in with a multimillionaire, no longer had to work, and began enjoying comps at a number of casinos. And she was allowed to use the horseshoe limousines and began racking up huge credit card debt on shopping sprees at Versace and Neiman Marcus. Right? Go bigger, or go home. She also had a nose job and breast augmentation, At Binion's expense.
0: Now she's the Venus with the big titties.
1: Yeah. There was no way that she could ever consider returning to the life she left behind in California. Las Vegas had made it. She had made it in Las Vegas. So it wasn't long before Binion began using uh, Sandy to schmooze the high rollers. In November 1995, he sent... Sandy and two horseshoe employees to Taiwan to attend the opening of a Taiwanese businessman's shopping plaza, High Roller, who was in a gambling debt dispute with the horseshoe. Now, the gaming control board soon came to suspect that she was trying to collect debts for Binion, which only served to add to his gaming woes. Now, he, however, clearly liked Sandy's mouthy disposition, her showgirl appearance, and the fact that she hung out with big busted dancers, girls who didn't mind showing it off to strangers.
0: Okay, come on. Let's be honest. What straight guy does not love titties? That's true. Like, for real, man. Yeah. Okay, and and here's the thing. I could have the greatest girlfriend in the world, okay? I still want to see some titties.
1: Yeah. I mean. Yeah, because I was I was at this guy one time, and he would always like kind of sneak looks at women as we were driving by or something. I said, "Just look at her. I don't care." <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm I'm not stupid, you know.
0: Amen. Hey, here's the thing, man. Like some women have awesome looking boobs, man. I know it's just the way that is. Thank you. And then there's some women that don't, and then there's some women that are flat chested. You is that a little boy? Oh no, that's a woman. Okay, well I fucking now I know.
1: I know I have a friend that's so flat, chest, She said, if I had a breast reduction, I'd have scars on my back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fucking awesome. I know.
1: So um, the two of them were soon being seen together everywhere in Vegas. And everything between Ted and Sandy seemed fine for a while. Suddenly she had it all. And she wasn't about to let any of it go, no matter what the circumstance was. Sandy Murphy had gotten what she wanted out of life and a lot more. But somehow she soon found that it wasn't enough, particularly after she met a man named Rick Tabish. Now, Richard Rick Tabish was 33-year-old, a 33 year old born on March 15, 1965, in Missoula, Montana. His parents were Frank and Lonnie Tabish, and he was the second of three boys. His father owned and operated a petroleum distribution company and was one of the wealthiest men in Missoula. As a result, his sons never had to want for anything, and they were afforded a childhood of comfort and uh, extreme opulence. After he graduated from Big S- Big Sky High School in 1983, he entered the University of Montana in Missoula and dropped out after only two quarters of attendance. Afterward, after that, he became a familiar face in the Missoula County Jail. Most of his early offenses were actually for drinking, driving under the influence and fighting, which prompted the cops to characterize him as a wild kid with more money than brains. You see that a lot. I do, yeah. His favorite pastimes soon included chasing women, working out, and being, you know, unemployed. And being an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. And he seemed to re- relish in this defiant person- personality that he had developed. By the time he was 20, he stole a 17th century painting valued at more than $600,000 from the home of a prominent attorney in Missoula, who also happened to be a friend of his family. After being caught for the crime, he confessed and returned the painting. As part of the plea bargain, he received a three-year suspended sentence and didn't serve any jail time. Way to teach him a lesson. Two years after that, in November 1987, he was involved in a motor vehicle altercation that turned into a road rage. It became it began when another driver reportedly gave him the finger as he passed by. Now, Tabish caught up with the other driver, pulled him over to the side of the road, and assaulted him as the as the prevailing party during a fist fight. He was subsequently charged with aggravated assault for the attack and a against the missoula resident was convicted and sentenced to six months in jail and was forced to pay eight hundred dollars in restitution woohoo hoo except for 40 41 days that he had to serve in jail the rest of the sentence was suspended on another occasion also in the 80s he allegedly sold $2,500 from a restaurant owned by one of his <laughs> friends that case was handled out of court and the restaurant's owner was repaid and he was not charged with the theft However, in 1988, he moved to Arizona for a little while. And along with two other men, he was suspected of operating a drug ring in Montana. Now, following the surveillance and investigation, he and his friends were arrested for shipping a quarter pound of cocaine from Arizona to Montana in a FedEx package. You don't ever ship it by mail, stupid people.
0: You ship it by female, the big titties.
1: Yeah, way to... Way to promote drug muling.
0: I don't promote drug muling, but if you do want to uh, mule drugs, my address is... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. In 88, he also pled guilty to the charges and was sentenced to 10 years in prison with 7 years suspended. He only did 9 months, was paroled, and placed on probation for the rest. His probation formally ended in 1997. Now, while he was on parole and probation, he got a job for a rock-crushing business. During that time, he began thinking about running his own establishment, met, and he met the owner's daughter, Mary Jo Rabin, R-E-H-B-E-I-N. I think that's Rabine. He married her in 91, and they had two children together. During the 90s, he started a number of small businesses, including Teleprobe, which was a telecommunications company. Then he had Wash. Washworks Incorporated, which was a truck washing business, and finally a truck hauling hauling company that he called MRT Transport, a company that provided trucks and equipment for use on construction job sites in Montana, Nevada, and Oregon. What is wrong with her right now?
0: Uh, she wants attention. She was over oh. here getting love from me, and I was cuddling her and kissing her, and now she's oh. like, "I want more attention." That's my dog we're talking about. Yeah, she's whining. It's not my Asians in the backyard. They don't whine. They don't whine. Because they have shot colors on them.
1: Anyways, although he was thought to be a hard worker, he he began having cash flow problems with each and every one of his business ventures. After his probation was over, he decided, I'm going to go to Vegas and make a new start, and he hoped to break his string of bad luck. He left Mary Jo and the kids in Montana, and planned to send for them after he became established there. Things had not worked out the way he had planned, though, and Mary Jo and the kids remained in Montana. Rick only saw his family when he'd come home on an occasional weekend. After he got to Vegas, he quickly set up and started MRT Transportation, which is a subsidi- subsidi- subsidiary Thank you, of his Montana truck- trucking operation, as well as MRT contracting and MRT leasing. He always carried a cellular phone, And he quickly made a name for himself with the Las Vegas business community. Now, remember, back in the early 90s, that's when the cell phone was that big old cell. you know, Or the suitcase, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, In his drive to become successful, he made contacts. He quickly made contacts and soon found that he was meeting even more people through those initial contacts in his search for an investor with the money to spend. He had heard about Ted Binion, and when he met him in the men's room at Piero's, it was as if fate had dealt him a winning hand. Jesus
0: Christ, he's meeting a lot of people at the pisser.
1: I know, right? So as time went on, Tabish and Binion became close to one another. Tabish was known to visit Binion and Sandy at their home, and they they would even socialize together publicly. Sometimes Ted would even ask Rick to tag along with Sandy when she went shopping to keep an eye on her. As he continued to build Binion's trust, it wasn't long before the subject of Binion's silver came up. And Binion began talking of wanting to move it out of his garage to a location near his ranch and Pahrump. 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 Excuse me. They should spell it differently. And who names the town Pahrump?
0: Apparently they did.
1: Like, what does that even mean? So a small desert town. That's,
0: uh, that, that's what I say when I'm having sex. Oh, my God. So <laughs> with your mom.
1: Rick's name came up during conversations that Binion <laughs> held with an acquaintance, a part-time building contractor, who told him that Tabish had a reputation as a contractor and was qualified to help Binion build a suitable storage vault for his silver. Now, Binion owned a piece of property in Purump. That consisted of several acres, right in the center of town, at about a mile from his ranch, where Highway 160 intersected with Highway 372, which is the road to Death Valley. The property was Death. situated in Death Valley. Now, the property was situated on oh on one side next to the Terrible Herpes Casino, known as Terrible's Town owned by the Herps family, and on the other side, a Burger King and a Smith's Food King supermarket. A McDonald's restaurant was located across the highway, at, as was a gas station and convenience store. It was the busiest intersection in Purump Pahr- where people came and went all hours of the day. In keeping with this penchant for buying things, oh, burying things, excuse me, Binion wanted to build an underground cement vault on the site's northwest corner where he could store his $7 million in silver. He eventually asked Rick Tabish to build a vault for him, and after surveying the area, Tabish agreed. When construction of the concrete vault was complete, Tabish, Binion, and a group of men who worked for Tabish transported Binion Silver on July 4, 1998 and sealed it 10 feet underground. Afterward, Tabish asked Binion if he wanted to change the combination to the vault's lock so that only Binion would know it, but Binion had declined and said that he trusted Rick Tabish. Probably the biggest mistake of his life. So when Ted Binion's longtime gardener, Tom Loveday, showed up on Thursday, September 17th, he couldn't have known, at least not at first, that something was wrong behind the walls of the 8,000-square-foot home located on Palomino Palomino Lane. Now, Thursday was was Love Day's regular day to mow the grass at Binion's expansive gated ranch style home in the upscale older Las Vegas area, which was located near Rancho Drive and Charleston Boulevard and only minutes from downtown. It was approximately 9 a.m. when Love Day arrived. And at first, this particular Thursday didn't seem different from any other of the 500, you know, give or take days that he had been there. It didn't take him long, though, to begin to sense that something was afoot. Fearing that something might be wrong, he walked around the perimeter of the house that afforded him, at best, you know, just a small glance at what was happening. He was first noticed that the living room curtains were shut, and he had never seen the curtains closed at any time on any other day he'd worked there. As a result, he couldn't see into the den where, you know, Binion spent most of his time when he was home. So he looked through the kitchen door near where the dogs were staying, but he couldn't see anything there either. And the house seemed to be too dark. Then he went into Binion's bedroom window and looked through the open drapes. And um, Binion's bed was made and there were no articles of closing on the floor. Knowing that Binion and Sandy had separate bedrooms, he made his way to Sandy's room. Her, her drapes were open too, and like Binion's, her bed was made. <laughs> Where was everybody, he wondered. On Thursday, it wasn't unusual for Sandy to open her bedroom window and talk to him. And on occasion, since Sandy hung out with exotic dancers, he would see large busted girls who liked showing off what they had walking around the house with little to nothing covering their bodies. Um,
0: if you want to walk around my house like that, my address is.
1: <laughs> right. Now, the girls that Sandy hung out with were vain, of course, and he would sometimes see them with bandaged noses following plastic surgery. On one occasion, Sandy even told him that Ted hadn't made love to her for a long time due to his drug use and blatantly said that she needed sex. She invited him in to smoke marijuana with her, but he (coughs) declined. She was certainly pretty, but with her, you know, her nice voluptuous lips, her new dancer body, you know, her dancer body legs and buffness with her, you know, her, ow, brown bedroom eyes. My ear itched.
0: She can wrap that right around my head.
1: What, her brown bedroom eyes or her?
0: Her thighs and those boobies. (laughs) Big titties.
1: Now, she was five foot eight inches tall and weighed maybe 108 pounds. That's pretty skinny. She, she had her hair was no longer blonde, but a light brown and cl- which was closer to her natural color. And she was an in, an inviting young woman, but she was also Ted's girl. And no one in this right mind dared to mess with Ted Binion's girl. However, there was no Sandy and no flirting on this day. Nothing was going on at the Binion house that day that he could see or hear. No scantily clad young women and there were no apparent signs of anybody else. It was quiet, too quiet for that, that residence. And there was the maid, Maria Montoya, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Gascoigne, G-A-S-C-O-I-G-N-E.
0: Yeah, let's go with that.
1: Yeah. He wondered, she had always shown up for work by the time he got there. Although concerned over his observations, he decided that he had learned all that he could from, you know, just going around the premises, so he decided to get to work. He left Ted's house sometime between 1 and 1 30 p.m. And he didn't know until later why he had sensed that something was wrong. Sometime after he left, Sandy Murphy emerged from the house with Rick Tabish and they drove to Horseshoe Gaming Administration Office without an appointment. Sandy wanted to see Kathy Rose, Ted's personal secretary. The receptionist told her that Rose was in a meeting, but... Sandy asked her to interrupt the meeting so that she could give Rose a check that needed to be deposited into Ted's account. Rose came out of the meeting and met Sandy in the reception area. Sandy looked, she said Sandy looked tired, almost haggard, like she had been up all night. She, didn't, she did not look like sh- the showgirl that she normally did. Rose said it was odd that she would bring in a check for Ted. She had never done that before. Now, during that meeting, Sandy told Rose that Ted had obtained a prescription drug to assist him in getting off heroin again. After he lost his gaming license for good because of his associations with known mobsters and because of his drug issues, he became depressed and started smoking heroin again, chasing the dragon, as it's called. Now, Sandy also said that she had, in fact, stayed up all night with him at his request and Still wondering why Ted hadn't brought the check in himself, Sandy told Rose that Ted was sleeping. Besides, she said, she left the house to go out and get something to eat, which made it convenient for her to drop off the check. After that, she was going to go home to check on Ted. A little while later, Sandy called Kathy Rose again and asked her for the phone number of one of Ted's associates. She didn't say why she needed it, but Rose gave it to her anyways. Then she heard the sound of a male voice in the background and on Sandy's end, but didn't press Sandy further about why she wanted that phone number. Now, in hindsight, Sandy's contact with Rose that day had seemed out of character, even really strange because she rarely had an occasion to speak with the woman, much less see her. So shortly after 3.55 p.m., the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department Emergency Communication, you know, 911, received a call from a woman who was obviously very distraught and very hysterical. She said, my husband has stopped breathing was all she said when she, then she hung up. Although the call was disconnected, the dispatcher was able to trace it to Ted Binion's house. Now, I'm almost done with this. Are we doing good on time? Okay, so the Las Vegas Fire Department paramedic Kenneth Dickinson was the first on the scene at the residence. Then there were two other emergency medical technicians with him, and a second team of paramedics arrived just a short time later. They parked on the street in front of the gated house and walked up the driveway where a hysterical woman came running toward them screaming unintelligible words. Between her sobs and her, you know, her frantic hysterics, they were able to to decipher... What she was saying. She was saying he's not breathing. He's not breathing. One of the paramedics Stephen Ranky, Remained outside for a few minutes. And tried to calm her down. While Dickinson and the others. Went inside the house. In the process. He Reinke learned that she was Sandy Murphy. And he testified in court. About the nature of his conversation. Um, he had asked her. What is your relationship to the patient? She said I'm his wife. Um Then when. When was the last time you saw him? Because he wanted to establish a time frame for his report. She said it was this morning. Then he left standing with another technician and went inside. Inside, the paramedics found a man lying on his back in the den in the southeast quadrant of the house. It was Ted, all right? There was no mistaking that. His remarkable moon-shaped face was known all over town. He was lying on a small mattress on a throw rug in front of the television. A comforter was draped over his lower legs, and there was an empty medicine bottle that said it was labeled xanax was lying on the floor next to him. His skin was ashen gray, and he wasn 't moving. Their first thought was he 's dead so ranky walked over, reached down, and felt for a pulse in you know in the neck and there was there was none. The body was cold to the touch, and it was apparent that rigor had already sent in and in the area of his jaw, but was strangely absent from the rest of his body now in the next few moments sandy came ran into the room dropped to the floor and attempted to uh hug you know ted's body it was all the paramedics could do to keep her away from him but they finally managed to escort her out of the room one of the technicians remained with her in an attempt to console her as she continued to go into hysterics then Dickinson and Rankin properly hooked up Binion's body to a monitor, but he was flatlined. There was no need for a chest rub or other attempts at resuscitation. It was clear that he was dead, and he had no—he had been for quite some time. They should
0: have let him. They should have taken Ted's hands, rubbed her chest, because that'll bring him back to life. Get the big titty. Like a magic genie. Exactly the big titty genie that she is.
1: Whatever. Now, just how long he had been dead was difficult for them to discern, but they guessed that he'd been dead for several hours. One of Binion's neighbors, a lady by the name of Janice Tano, saw all the activity and wanted to know what was going on and see if she could help. Shocked by the news of Ted's death, Tano wanted to know how her neighbor had died. She was informed at this point that the cause of death had still not been determined. Sandy, meanwhile, was still hysterical. She was crying with emotional outbursts. It was difficult to comprehend anything she was saying. At one point, she had composed herself well enough to stop babbling and said, I don't want to hurt Teddy. Although little attention was given to the statement at the time, investigators later wondered why she was speaking in the present tense. Why would she make such a statement? Had she merely repeated something that she had said to someone earlier, perhaps in an attempt to refuse to do something that someone wanted her to do? Or whatever it was had been indelibly embedded in her mind. It's, it had seemed like a strange thing to say under the circumstances, but then people often use, say unusual things in highly stressful situations. So because of her seemingly uncontrollable and unmanageable hysteria and after stating the one of the paramedics that she wanted to kill herself and the fact that she started to hyperventilate, it was decided that she should be taken to the hospital. She was placed on a gurney and transported by ambulance to Valley Hospital just a few blocks away and the neighbor Janice followed her. Around 529 p.m. when Sandy was seen in the emergency room at Valley Hospital by Dr. Brian Kaminsky, he wrote
0: in his chart He's notes. He's a Jew, too. <laughs> really? Kaminsky? They're all Jews. Dirty Jews. Go to temple. Get your yarmulke. Shalom.
1: Yeah. He said in his chart notes that other than her being an hysterical, she appeared healthy and otherwise normal. He recommended that she see crisis counselors to evaluate her, and another emergency room physician prescribed her some volume to calm her down. However, when the nurse, Larry Krev, attempted to administer the volume, she refused it, and her hysteria continued. A little overdramatic, Krev said to the detective waiting outside her room. Krev would further characterize Sandy's behavior as almost theatrical. Apparently, 20 minutes later, he noted that she calmed down considerably even without taking the volume. So, I think we're going to end there. Yeah.
0: Is this going to be like a two-part or something? Three. Fucking warn me about that shit. I did
1: tell you that. No, you
0: didn't. I did. No, because I just have this labeled as just one fucking episode. Oh, well, sorry about your oh, luck. Because I Christ. know I told you. I can't get any information over here. I ain't got no goddamn big-tittied Asians in my house right now. I've only got the two. Maybe
1: if you paid attention to me when I spoke. I got two
0: medium-tittied Asians in my backyard. I need two big tittied ones in my house.
1: I have never seen an Asian woman with big breasts.
0: Oh, dude. I'm like, for real? Like, of course, Thailand has it, but then you got to kind of, you know, be kind of cautious. Japan, man, they're Amerasians. They're they're Asian, but like their mom or their dad boned a white chick or something. During the war? Yeah. And like you get these Asian chicks that are hot with these nice butts and these big jugs.
1: I've never seen an Asian woman with big boobs.
0: i got to go back to Japan. Yeah. Good times. Good times. All right, folks. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook. Join Citizens of Brutal Nation interact with us. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue, LLC. All rights are reserved. If you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast or lie, thieving bastards. bastards. Except for Metal Cross Radio. Oh, except for Metal Cross Radio. That's right. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.